0: Good evening and welcome to Pigeon Post. My name's Mike and I am here in my office, the closet. It is 1124 p.m. And uh, so what that means is I'm going to try to turn on the jets and get through Genesis 2. Not that I want to get through it, so to speak. But if you haven't noticed, there's a pandemic happening, right? And you would think that while we're kind of um, uh, social distancing and staying in our homes, that we would have less to do. Um, but I'm finding personally that I have a lot to do, <laughs> and I'm sure you're finding a similar thing. And so I don't want to just get through this, but I find it's very good for me to to do this. I mean, I do this podcast um, for several reasons. But, uh, one of the things that I think it does for me personally, is kind of like uh, making a journal, you know, it's like writing down your thoughts. Um, and I've never been good at at tackling that task of really just writing out what I think. So I'll probably never be able to write a book or anything like that without extreme assistance. (laughs) But I, I feel like just kind of letting, um, letting it roll, so to speak, letting the tape roll, and um, hitting record, it kind of forces me to uh, to deal uh, with my thoughts and to deal with the text of scripture. So we're in Genesis 2. So if you haven't read Genesis 2 recently, you might want to pause it right here. I'm not going to put any pause music this time, but you might want to pause it right here and read Genesis 2. Um, but there are many other scriptures, um, and I'll just read you know, those to you as, as we go. And then I'll put it in the notes of the podcast. Um, hopefully I will try to remember to do that. So Genesis two, by the way, uh, side note, um, I'm saying a quick prayer in my head right now. Um, always, you know, say a prayer when you read scripture. Um, it's, it's really good to just make sure that you're not just trying to absorb knowledge, but that this is, this is an an, ex- an experience of knowing God and actually seeing what he says about himself. And so uh, on that note, think about what we said in Genesis 1, that these are homeless ex-slaves wandering in the desert. They have all of their earthly belongings with them. And they have kids and wives and animals and whatever they have on them, right? They just left an oppressive regime, right? They left the Pharaoh, and God did a miracle. He parted the waters. We talked about that last time. And they're praising God, but then the reality sets in that they are in the desert. It's really dry in the desert. It's really hot. It's really cold at night. Um, It's really dark. It's really bright. There's a lot of extremes in the desert. and they're looking up at these stars every night, and Moses is, Now I don't know when Moses wrote Genesis, but Moses is instructing the people of God. Um, and that whole time before they actually enter the promised land, Moses, in fact, never enters the promised land. And so um, you can imagine that Moses is putting this down on paper, but he's also telling it to the people and giving them who God is and what God has done. Um... <clears throat> so the, the context of who in the audience that this was originally written to were the Israelites in the desert. Um, in a sense, they're going back to reclaim this land that is supposed to be theirs. We're going to find out the story as we read Genesis, like how did the promised land become to come to be called the promised land. Um, but interestingly, Moses is taking them all the way back to creation when he- the heavens and earth were made and telling them, Who is this God that did this? This God is Yahweh. He is the God who made the heavens and the earth. I was reading Jonah the other day um, to the kids, and I noticed that uh, when Jonah is on the boat uh, and he's explained to the sailors, uh, which God he prays to, he prays to Yahweh, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And, um, or excuse me, I think he says, um, the earth and the seas or the, uh, he says something like that. Um, you know what? I should just look it up my Bible right here because I'm just making myself look foolish. Um, He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So there you go. So that recognition in the Israelites mind that, you know, like Jonah is on a boat in the sea, right? Now Jonah came much later, but um, just the mindset here, he's on a boat in the sea and he recognizes that God made the heavens are the, uh, why am I? brain farting my way through this. Maybe because it's 1130. (laughs) What is the phrase? The sea and the dry land. Right. So this is the God of heaven and earth, right? But Jonah is recognizing that he's on the ocean and he worships the God who made the sea and the dry land. And I thought the men's response is really funny here. It says, they were exceedingly afraid. What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he told them. So they're like, wait a minute, dude, you are running away from the God who made the sea. Like, it's not smart to go out on the sea. God made the sea, right? So these Israelites are being told that God made this beautiful garden with all these animals, um, that God made the stars that they're looking at every day. And, that, and they're going to see the unfolding of who they are. So I think it, it's really helpful for us. We don't often get this mindset of, like, who was this written to? And we have to ask this in every book of the Bible. Because it's written to us, yes, but first it was written to a particular audience. And then, by extension, and through Christ, it gets applied to us. But th- these are homeless Israelites. Just wanted to underline that. Um, What we're going to see in here is that they're leaving a pharaoh, right, like a sinful slave master, and they're being introduced to um, the king, right, the good king, the king who made all things good. Um, This is their sovereign now, and he's going to be identified as a sovereign, right, as one who is in authority and control. He's going to give a command here in Genesis 2. Um, and yeah, if you haven't paused and read that, just do that whenever you're comfortable um, right now, because we're going to go ahead and start talking about it. Um, so Moses is educating the people about who God is, what he's done, and who they are, and what their purpose is. And I think that's really important. I mean, you're going out into an unknown land, leaving everything that you've known, bringing your family, knowing that there's probably going to be some battles along the way. What's the purpose of all this? I mean, they were told that the purpose was for them to go out and worship the Lord, right? Um, In the desert, that was the original thing that that uh, that Moses told Pharaoh, was that they were going out to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. And so they have to understand why they're doing this stuff and what this all means. So here we go. Um, So here's a couple things that I wrote down right before I hit record. Um, I have other notes, but just kind of reading Genesis 2 again, um, just to refresh my mind. Um, First, we're we're, we're shown that God takes this rest, okay, which is really interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. Then there's a special creation of man where God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man becomes a living creature. Um, There's a garden. Um, The garden has these two trees, which will become really important. Um, It says, really interesting here, that every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So every tree in the garden was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Um, there are rivers. Um, there's not just, it's not an isolated garden. It's, there's the whole earth, right? So they're describing the landscape here. It's interesting that in, in this description, I've always wondered like, why, why are, why are they telling them that there's precious metals and stones and stuff like that? There's gold over here in this, um, river. That's, that's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure I really know the answer to that. Um, except that what it, What is interesting is that when the Israelites did come out of Egypt, they um, sort of dug into the Egyptians' pockets, so to speak. Actually, the Egyptians just gave them, um, I think, jewelry and different kinds of things. Um, Basically, it was like they looted the Egyptians as they left. Um, The Egyptians were so happy to see them leave. I don't know how happy they were, but they wanted them gone they were giving them gifts, you know, like trying to appease a God or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so I I don't know if that's a connection, but I think it's interesting. Um, and definitely there is, uh, when we read Revelation, I don't, I don't know if I wrote down to read this part, but in the description in Revelation, it's talking about the city with all these precious metals and stones that comes out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. Um, so don't lose... Don't lose track of the fact that God has already planned a better new creation um, where the stones are not buried in the dirt, but actually already built into a city. Um, So there's definitely a connection there. I mean, when you read in Revelation about the new Jerusalem or heaven, as we call it, you know, coming down to earth and Christ reigning, there's rivers, there's stones, there's all this similar imagery that we see in Genesis 2. Okay. And then there's a command, right? The command says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but so except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Ominous. Okay. Has there ever been a command that wasn't broken by someone somewhere? Um, we know that this is a long book, right? It doesn't end in Genesis 2. So there's a command, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will surely die. Um, He doesn't mention the tree of life there, right? So theoretically, they were allowed to eat from the tree of life. All right. um, Then uh, we see Adam uh, sort of like, Getting his authority and his purpose he's naming all the animals uh, of creation Um, But something's still not quite what it needs to be right so God causes Adam to go into this deep sleep he performs a surgery and Does this other special creation where he takes a rib and makes it into a woman and he brings her to the man and Adam sort of sings this song or says this poem, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Um, so he, he calls her woman, right? And um, we see this thing about marriage here, right? This is the first marriage. So marriage came before sin. It was part of creation. So it's a solid part of our worldview, like the thing that God has laid out even before creation, marriage is in that. Um, And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, Notice it doesn't say they become one spirit, but it does say they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, Everything's still good at this point right? So whoever came up with these chapters, which was, I think, a French guy in 15th, 16th, I don't know. Um, Somebody uh, chapterized, if that's a verb, the Bible. Uh, They stop it very nicely right there uh, before chapter three, which is the fall, right? Um, But we're in chapter two right now. So let's just keep focused on the fact that this is good and it's very good. All right, so here's uh, some of my notes, and I'll um, do what I did last time, which is read a ton of scripture, but uh, I'm going to go faster this time. Um, So, the heavens and earth were finished. God gave a command. I find Psalm 19 really, a really interesting parallel, right? So check out Psalm 19, Um, and I'm going to go quick. So just pause it, you know, if you need to find Psalm 19 in your Bible or device. Um, But I'll read it if, if you just want to listen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Interesting that in those six verses, there's this little summary of just the natural, or what we would call natural revelation, And now in verse seven, it shifts and talks about special revelation, the thing that God says, which for us is now, you know, this complete Bible that we have in front of us. And for Adam was this command that he got from directly from God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving. Think about that, like coming to life. Like, so God breathed into Adam. He became a living being or a living soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Keep that in mind, that that what God says is what makes us wise. And there's going to be this looking for wisdom that happens in chapter 3 that's not, it's violating the law. So how can you look for a wisdom that violates the testimony of God? Because the testimony of God is what makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We're going to see the eyes in uh, chapter 3 as well. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. There's no shame there, right? Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. There's that gold again, right? There was gold buried in near those rivers right but well, what's better than that gold is just to believe god right to keep his what he gives you um to know his word even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb i tempted to go <laughs> something here but um just keep in mind that there were a lot of sweet things around Adam and Eve, including each other, and even better than all of that was the word of the Lord and the rules of the Lord, the thing that that keeps his authority central and his glory and his holiness. Um, in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults, keep back your servant, Also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. It's interesting. I didn't even plan this, but these words like dominion and clean and wise and reviving, they're just reminding it. You see how beautiful the Bible is, that it all fits together. And this Psalm is just opening up Genesis 2 for us. Um, Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That That's what needs to be written on our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I think Psalm 19 is a really nice parallel to all of Genesis 2 and really kind of Even those verses about declare me innocent from hidden faults and keep me back from sinning um, really just kind of ring true because we're about to go into Genesis 3, right? Not on this podcast, but on the next one. Um, So just a note about rest, right? Um, God rested not as a law, but as a gift. And he rested before sin even came into the world, right? which is interesting because Jesus made it a point to do good works on the Sabbath as our savior. And he told us that it's lawful to do good. And if we think about it, the greatest good that could ever be done is the cross. And so it's interesting how the in uh, Christianity, the Sabbath is um, fulfilled in the next day, right? The first day of what you might call the new creation. So like think about it like this, if Jesus died on a Friday, and I know that there's debate about which day he died or um, that part really doesn't matter that much, but he died, right? If it was a Friday, that means that that all of those six days, that would be their six days were over at that point. And then the seventh day would be God's day of rest, right? When you would think that he's resting from working right? And Jesus is in the grave that day. And then the first day of the week, which is Sunday, is the day that he rose from the grave. I'm just using the traditional days. I know that there've been people that map it out slightly differently. Um, But the idea is still there, right? That that if Christ completed his work, and then rested, right? Um, But we and we worship on Sunday, which is, we often think of that as the last day of the weekend, but it's actually the first day of the week because there is a new creation. There is a resurrection. There is the fact that we serve a risen savior. And so there was always like that, that you're kind of waiting for that first day of the next week. It doesn't seem to really happen. It sort of falls off a cliff, right? Um, But that kind of is this sort of foreshadowing that there is going to be a new creation. The second week is going to be awesome. And it starts with the resurrection of Christ, um, which is often called the Lord's Day. Okay, so in in the resting, you know, there's like this, almost like this reflection on the blessing and holiness of God um, for us. We can meditate on what God has done. Not meditation like Eastern meditation where we empty ourselves, but where we fill ourselves with his word and with praise and let our hearts fill with thanksgiving and blessing for what um, God had done. Um, God gave a command. Adam should have seen that command as a good part of his many blessings. Um, So, I don't know how all the days worked out after that day of rest. Um, But Adam was there. Eve was there. If they were created on the sixth day. And that that day of rest, you know, should have been this time. And I don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened on that day uh, for them. But for us, we have to remember that God gives us these times. Even if we don't do it on a Sunday, to reflect and to meditate on his goodness. And the words of our mouth, like Psalm 19 says, and the meditation of our heart should be pleasing in our sight as we understand that God, Yahweh, is our rock and our redeemer. And um, so that's part of the purpose of this rest. And um, I just want to point out a couple of really cool things about rest. I have no intention of trying to teach all about Sabbath and all that. I don't, I don't know all about that, um, but I do know that in the New Testament, um, what it says about the Sabbath, uh, you can definitely see what the what the focus is here. So Mark two, verse twenty seven, and he, this is Jesus, said to them, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And I think that Lord should be capitalized because who else is Lord of the Sabbath uh, but God himself and Jesus is God. So if your Bible doesn't capitalize Lord there, um, I'm no Greek scholar, but I, I question that. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> uh, many Bibles do capitalize Lord there. So um I don't want to go all into the context of why Jesus said that. Um, I think Pharisees were questioning about some things. But the point is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And if the Sabbath is as old as creation, this is just another indicator that there's something about our Savior, right? Christ is our Savior. And that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Like, something better is going to be happening, right? The Sabbath was made for man. And think about that, that, that God rested on this Sabbath before sin entered the world. But as our Savior, we see him working on the Sabbath. Uh, both in his earthly ministry, he's working for our good. And then even in his death, which was right before the Sabbath, um, it's this work is coming, right, the next day. Um, so that's a, that's a cool thing that, I probably haven't fully explored, but I wanted to throw that out there, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Once again, I, I can't take the time to get into the full context, but if you want to read um, chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, you'll you'll see more. Um, But just to make this point, um, 4 verses 2 and 3. For good news came to us just as to them. Um, And this is interesting because he's talking about um, the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay, (laughs) so definitely very parallel passage here. Uh, But the message they heard did not benefit them. He's talking about some of the ones that disbelieved while they were in the wilderness. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, so faith in the hearing of the word of God is really important. And now it says, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, um, as I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Um, And I'll read the next verse. Um, For he has somewhere spoken of a seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works in Hebrews, this guy, whoever wrote Hebrews, maybe Paul, maybe Apollos, maybe somebody else. Um, this is really high level stuff. Okay. <laughs> so don't expect me to fully explain it. Uh, but the fact that those that we who have believed enter that rest, that's what I wanted to underline there. So Hebrews four, three, we who have believed enter that rest And Jesus' words, think about that, that Sabbath was made for man. So God, in creation, has made a day, right? And it's not just the literal Sunday where we rest and stay at home. It is the fact that we are entering this peaceful rest with God, that we are reconciled to God by what Jesus did, and we're united to him by faith and enter into his rest. That if you're a Christian, that even though the world is going crazy right now, that we can have peace in our heart because we can enter his rest with him. Um, And remember, that was before sin even happened. So this is another foreshadowing of this. This rest is better um, because it's a a rest where we've been redeemed, where Jesus is working all things for our good because Jesus does work on the Sabbath. Sabbath. So if we're in Christ and his rest and he's working for our good, um, nothing can separate us from his love. That's the end of Romans 8, right? Um, so cool stuff there, even though I didn't um, do that as nice and clearly as I wanted to. So um, hopefully you can kind of dig into those thoughts about rest. But anyway, the point is that God's rest, it represents peace with creation. Um and honestly, guys, in Genesis, there's not going to be a lot of peace. <laughs> in the Bible, things explode after Genesis 2. Um, it's really sad. Uh, but remember that that God's rest is available in Christ uh, as you're reading this. Okay, um, <clears throat> um, I'm going to pause for a brief commercial break. Just kidding, this isn't really commercial. But I am trying to drink this uh, tart Cherry Kombucha by Kavita, and it's excellent. So um, uh, let me just take a little chug of that, because to my health, right? So if you've never tried kombucha, it's good stuff. Um, There's a little bit of caffeine in it um but yeah it's like a sparkling tea with ginger and all kinds of good stuff and um i find that it it really is good stuff probiotics really good stuff all right that wasn't a real commercial so don't think i'm doing this for money uh, <laughs> all right so i want to uh spend the rest of the time really focusing on um the marriage part in here um I think that's what I want to do. And I think I'll probably even read some of Revelation, which will also kind of talk more about the city that I was talking about earlier and how that kind of parallels with Genesis, too. So it's really interesting that Revelation and Genesis, they kind of parallel. Like, the Revelation ends the way Genesis starts, but it's better, and it's better because of Jesus. Um, okay, so Marriage. How awesome is this? I mean, if you're married, you know, part of how awesome this is. But this is the marriage as it was laid out, like even before sin. And it's part of our worldview. And I'm, I'm just going to read scripture because, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we say things um, that our culture finds controversial. And even other Christians uh, start rejecting and and finding controversial, but they're not controversial at all. It's part of the goodness of God. He made them male and female. That's, that's what he did. Why is that controversial? Um, we see what marriage is supposed to be, what it was meant to be, and that's why we have the worldview that we have unapologetically, right? Um, that a marriage is between one man and one woman because that's the way that God ordained it. And anything less than that is not a marriage it's just you can't call it a marriage because that's not what it is and um, lest you think that I'm being unfair um, I'm just trying to show you um, and show myself and my kids and um, what the Bible says I mean I, I look at us very much like the Israelites in the desert right now the church it's in a good place. I think, I think the church overall is in a good place um, in certain parts. But we constantly need to remind ourselves, like like the psalm says, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. What is our, does, does what the Bible says make it down into our hearts? It doesn't unless we meditate on it. And it's like tilling up the soil to let to let it breathe and to let the water in and to plant things we have to till up the soil in our hearts we have to pray for a new heart and pray for a tender heart and pray for our hearts to be like good soil so that the word of god gets in it that it actually bears fruit and that's that's the goal here it's not to uh, make any kind of political statement i am very much not that way okay so if you know me at all um I have my moments, but I'm not a political guy. I think that, that, that politics, the role of politics, um, is that God ordains authority to do what's right. And that a lot of that stuff can be found in Genesis, right? We should take care of the earth. So I'm, I'm not one of those, like, you know, burn it cause it's going to burn anyway. You know, I don't, I don't take that view of, You know that Jesus is coming back and everything's gonna be destroyed, so we should just go ahead and destroy it and dump chemicals everywhere. Um I definitely do not take that view. Um by the way, we saw a good movie called Dark Waters. I think it's Dark Waters. Yeah, with Mark is it Ruffalo? Does it rhyme with Buffalo? I don't know. Um But anyway, (laughs) I think Christians should definitely Take care of the environment and you know that when we don't there are effects that happen Um, i I think it's really interesting you're never going to fully especially in our current crisis this is really interesting you should do everything you can to preserve life but you're never going to beat the system and that's what we're going to see in the fall that things get harder Um, but right now the system is perfect in genesis 2 right Um, And if we look at marriage, we need to see what marriage is meant to be um, before the fall. We don't want to look at marriage after sin enters the world and say, Oh, well, this is, you know, I'm I'm doing just as good as Abraham did, so whatever. No, we want to look at what God has ordained it to be. And as men, and I'm preaching to myself because I need to hear this. We want to love our wives the way that God wants us to love them. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. So let's read some scripture and um, see what it says. In Mark 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of... These are Jesus' words, by the way. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He's quoting Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Guys, I I don't know who's listening to this podcast. Not a lot of people. (laughs) But um, if there is anybody listening and you're a pastor, uh, please just, in love, just be clear and just say things the way that they are people will appreciate you just being clear. It's your job. I mean, if you're a pastor or Bible teacher, um, there's a certain Bible teaching ministry that I think has some real issues. And I don't think I want to mention their name, but just make sure you kind of vet your Bible teachers. Like, um, I always look up anything I read. um, If I'm not sure, like where it's originating from, I try to look the person up, and this is like one of those litmus tests. And I know some people don't like litmus tests, but just a side note. You look somebody up, Bible teacher, whatever. If they can't tell you what marriage is, why why would you listen to them? <laughs> this guy, this guy uh, he was on a different podcast, and he was asked pretty directly about the issue of homosexuality. And he was like, well, you know, I think we just need to have a conversation. And the Bible's really rich. And he goes into all this long stuff. And it's like, this is how you know when you're being deceived, brothers and sisters. When somebody just won't answer the question. Okay. Even, and you might come back and say, well, Jesus was mysterious when he answered questions. Right. But Jesus was trying to accomplish something different. Okay. When Paul answered a question, he answered the question. Jesus was doing something with those religious leaders Um, and on top of that, Jesus was clear. Okay. Um, he, he, he was, uh, giving them an answer in the form of a question, but they knew what he was saying. Um, except for when he was speaking in parables, but that's different. I'm talking about when he was answering questions. And this is one of his answers to a question. And look how direct it is. He says, now, now granted, they're not asking him about homosexuality. It's about divorce. But look how clear he is. He says, and he didn't even have to quote this. Why why is he starting right here? He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Two genders, right? Male, female. It's really simple. It's not hard. It's this, you know, we lose our minds when we get to Genesis chapter three. And I'll save that whole discussion for Genesis three. But we want to focus on the goodness of God in marriage. And Jesus is saying, look, this compromise of divorce is not the intention of God. That's due to the hardness of your heart. You should stay together. And that's what marriage is. It's when two people get together and stay together um, and make this union before God and God makes the union what God has joined together no one should separate now we don't just say that because you know God doesn't just have these rules like for no reason we might not understand what the reason is but it's not a rule for no reason so let's see like what is the reason for this we'll kind of start seeing it as we look through um, the New Testament in 1st Corinthians 7 3 through 5 and i know i'm um i'm trying to throw a little bit of context in there but once again i apologize for reading some short sections i'll rings i'll read some longer sections in a second um 1st corinthians 7 3 through 5 the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Um, that's that's kind of obvious, right? I try not to say too much in these, but you know I have to say some because... Um, you know, I w- I want my kids to hear these uh, sooner than later, but um, anyway, I think those verses are really clear um, that that sex is for marriage, right? So what do we have here when we take the Bible's clear teaching? And by the way, side note. Married people should have a lot of sex, according to that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing. It's part of creation. It's not sinful or ugly. It's a gift of God built into creation with a purpose and should be done often and joyously. But, um, yeah, so anyway, uh, look at what we have, this clear teaching. It just rules out, like, all these other questions that we seem to be having a problem with now, right? Even getting into the church somehow. I don't understand how it gets in his church. I mean, if you ask yourself, how many genders are there? Well, there's male and female. It's in the Bible. It's right there. It's how God made him, right? Um, who should be married? Um, one male and one female. Oh, okay, cool. Um, should they get divorced? No, no, really they shouldn't. I mean, there's a couple of places where it kind of Hence, it's some extenuating circumstances. But in general, it shouldn't, shouldn't just get divorced because God's joined together. You shouldn't separate that, right? Um, should there be sex outside of marriage? Well, no, because that's what God ordained for the place that sex would happen is in marriage, right? And so what, what would be the reason of sex outside of marriage? Why would you do that? Um, all these questions, I mean, an infinite, que- infinite number of questions that our culture just needs a clear answer on it. Now, are they going to accept that answer? No, no. We're, we're not, our hearts aren't right. You know, we need a new heart before we can in any way understand how to go back to Genesis 2, right? Or how to embrace the, the, the commands of Yahweh, the, the worldview we were supposed to have by the renewing of our mind. Um, we need a new heart, we need prayer, we need the church, we need all those things, right? But the answer is still really clear. I mean, there's nothing unclear about it. Now, here's where it kind of uh, burst, burst or bust, uh, wide open. Um, If we go to Ephesians, Ephesians 5, this is so cool. Praise God that this is in the Bible, that he gave us this. Um, we'd still probably be able to figure it out, but he's really clear right here. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Mm, interesting. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their own husbands. Hmm. So there's some kind of picture of Christ in the church when a wife submits to her husband. That's interesting. Next verse, uh, or a couple of verses down, verse 25. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the husband is supposed to love the wife as Christ loves the church. That's, that's a pretty big responsibility. I know that the whole submission thing becomes this real issue, um, but just before you go down that road um, of questioning God's goodness here, Um, the husbands have to love the wife as Christ loves the church. That's impossible, but it's an ideal that we're supposed to strive for, that we're supposed to love her as Christ loves the church. And he gives the husband much more instruction because we need it, right? Um, So here it goes, this whole section I'll read. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her or make her holy For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, quoting Genesis, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul's saying Genesis 2 is about Christ and the church. Yes, it's about Adam and Eve. There was an Adam and Eve. It all happened. Yes. But it is a mystery which we now understand is about Christ in the church. By the way, side note, when Paul uses the word mystery, he doesn't mean a spooky, mysterious thing with, you know, smoke and, and all this stuff. You know, we tend to, like, think that those add-ons, you know, um, smoke and incense, like, this is some kind of holy thing. Like... That is not the kind of mystery that Paul's talking about. He's talking about something that we didn't understand, but now we understand through Christ. And that that Christ is shining light on something and making it even more clear. Which is the whole point of this podcast, right? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So clear, right? The man and woman are equal right? But we have different roles, especially in marriage. And I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on marriage here. I think it's really just super clear, right? That if a husband is not loving his wife, that that he has problems. Number one, he doesn't love himself, according to this. He must hate himself because she's part of his flesh. So he's hating himself. He's also disobeying God uh, because God holds him to the standard of Christ in the church. So husband you are never doing a good enough job. I don't mean to bring condemnation here, but it, I would tell this to myself. I mean, I would tell it to my son when he grows up or to anybody. The husband has to keep loving his wife as Christ loves the church, which for me personally, means daily repentance. I'm not saying I'm, I'm achieving that, no. Daily, I have to come before God and say, God, forgive me. And sometimes I need to do that more explicitly be quite honest but in my heart just constantly repenting of not loving our wife as Christ loves the church and more and more doing that and that is a high standard that that we need to to strive for because that is what God commands of us it's not a joke it's not a compromise um, it is something that we have to do and I will just say this I've seen husbands that want to stick on wives submit to your own husbands and yes that is a command to the women but if you're not doing your your part it's on you my friend um, it is it is uh, in a sense your fault and you need to man up and repent and humble yourself and love your wife as Christ loves the church and I invite anybody, Um, because I need it, um, to ask me to tell me the same exact thing. If you see me not doing that, tell me. And there have been times when I've not done that. And there have been times when I've had to be called out for differences. I'm not even talking about marriage, but I'm just saying like, as believers, we need to, to, to know each other and be in each other's life enough that we can call each other out. That is a good thing. Um, I wish people um, had called me out on lots of things in my in my life um, that would have saved me a lot of pain, and yet we are so on edge of being triggered by somebody um, that we just can't we just can't take the criticism. Well, brother and sister, as we're going to see in Genesis three, we are fallen sinful people. Um, stop worrying about whether you're being criticized, and start worrying about whether you're pleasing God. If you're not pleasing God, then you should crave the criticism that would help you to please God. Okay. Um, another really interesting thing there is that the church, which, you know, I know often, uh, man, I wanted this podcast to be shorter, but <laughs> you just can't with this material. Um, the church is is often seen in america as this like you know some people in church are like domineering male chauvinist, whatever um and i'm sure there are some out there and I, I apologize on behalf of all them but just know that the biblical way is that the church is the feminine part of this marriage right like we are like the wife we are like the eve in this story and and christ is like the adam in the story right so and and even in what paul is saying here so like we can't as husbands you know or as people in the church just be like oh we believe in the submission of women but we're not submitting to christ oh oh okay so your church is not submitting to christ you're not looking at the commands of Christ in scripture and obeying it. And yet you want to say that your wife should submit to you, but you as a church are not submitting to Christ. That sounds like hypocrisy. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, right? Like it should humble us because all of us, male and female, are part of the church. Or excuse me, let me rephrase that. Anyone who is in Christ is in the invisible church, the real church you know, who the church is, the people of God, the believers. We are, even the men in the church, are the feminine part of this spiritual truth. And Christ is the masculine part of this spiritual marriage. So you think of Christ as a bridegroom, as uh, it says in the Psalms, or as a groom, as we would say. Christ is the husband and we are the bride. We are the wife um, of Christ. Um, so, um, that doesn't sound chauvinistic to me, um, at all because we are the ones, every one of us who should be submitting to Christ. And even in this passage earlier, it says submit to each other out of love. So submission, um, and respect and honor should be something that is fully happening with every member. And in particular in the marriage, uh, the husband has this huge responsibility to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Okay, um, I went on with that for a while. And I, I'm going to kind of bounce around here just a little bit. Um, so, first, I want to say that I'm not going to read Ruth, but if you want a really great story to read um, that shows, like, kind of this um, heroic story, um, man and wife kind of tale. Um and not tale like it's not true. It's it's true. Uh Ruth was in the lineage of Christ. Um so Ruth is a very cool book. Four chapters. I don't think there's atheists listening to this, but I would recommend anybody read Ruth. It's just a great literary work. It's awesome. Um, Proverbs thirty one and um, I'll tell you, just I'll just be honest. I wish more um, more pastors would take the opportunity on Mother's Day um, not to preach Proverbs thirty one to um, talk about motherhood necessarily. Although it's you know it's applicable. Hold on, I have to drink some kombucha here. But to actually see that since Christ fulfills all scripture, everything in the Old Testament, doesn't mean we can just, um, you know, allegorize everything, but the things that are obvious, we should, right? Um, So look at uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10. And I'll read 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. Actually, let me go ahead. I don't have time to read this twice on on this uh, podcast. So I'm just going to say, while I'm reading this, I want you to think about how this is actually what the church does for Christ and for its uh, members when it talks about children or whatever. So instead of reading this how we probably normally read it, like, oh, this is the great woman, and this is what we should be looking for in a wife. That's true. It's all true. Uh, But also think about how Christ and actually the church should be fulfilling Proverbs 31, okay? Uh, With the view in mind of what we just heard about what a wife does according to Paul and that the woman was made to be a helper for the man, okay? Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Oh, there's those precious stones again that we saw buried in Genesis, right? Um, just a side note: uh, when you when you have this view of scripture, like when I read that, this just kind of popped in my head. She rises well as yet night and provides food for her household. That's what I'm doing right now. That that's what's motivating me to do this podcast is to provide food for somebody, namely for my household, spiritual food for them. And the church should be doing that. We should be providing food. For each other, for our household, um, so, in portions for her maidens, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Um, sounds like she's bearing fruit, right? She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Is the merchandise of the church profitable? Is the product? And I don't mean like books and CDs and stuff. I'm talking about what we are bringing to the world, namely the gospel itself. Is it profitable? Or is it profitable in a different way that is not the way that God wants it to be profitable? So I'm looking at you, Joel Osteen, and any of the other prosperity preachers. Is what they're doing fulfilling the scripture? are they bringing merchandise to the world that's profitable? Um, There's a bookstore called Half Price Books, which you probably have one near you. And uh, you can probably go to the clearance bargain section um, or anywhere in there, or you can probably just go to a thrift store and find um, Power of Positive Thinking by, um, I guess, Norman Vincent Peale or How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, or you know what, you don't even, I'm being a little sarcastic, please forgive me, you don't even have to go buy a book. You can just look up somebody on Instagram who is there to just exude their positive stuff to you. Now, I'm not against positive thoughts, okay? I think uh, we overuse that word. (laughs) I don't even know what it means anymore, Uh, but the merchandise of the church is the gospel, okay? And so many people in the church are giving the world unprofitable merchandise. Now, they think it's profitable because they think it does something good, but we have no good apart from Christ. So when you're, I have mixed feelings about this, and this is, I'm sorry, this is a rabbit I'm chasing here. But I just see so much of it, and it's like I don't know what's being peddled there. Um, when you're pedaling a mindset, I get I get really um, sort of anxious about that. And you know, in school, uh, I'm a teacher, and you know, there there is something to having a positive mindset and our growth mindset, as we call it, and and stuff. Those things kind of reflect. Um, some of the grace of, of creation, even before sin enters creation. I understand all those things. But just be really careful how you parse that out. I don't even know what the answer is to it. But, but using God-type language and trying to to teach uh, this kind of wisdom and taking all of the God out of it is some, it, just, it doesn't feel right, you know? It's kind of like taking Proverbs 31 and just saying that it's about the excellent wife. Okay, yeah, but you're, you're missing it. I mean, like, is, is this really what's going to cure the wife who's, who finds herself as being not excellent? Is basically like a moralism, right? To say, like, you should be working harder. You should be staying up all night feeding everybody in the house. Uh, you should be starting a side business and killing it. You know, like, is this really what Proverbs 31 is about? I don't think so. I don't, there's nothing wrong with those things. Fine, do those things. But what Proverbs 31 is fulfilled in is the church being the helper and the bride of Christ and being fruitful in the world and bringing the merchandise, which is the gospel, to the world. That's what the world needs. The world doesn't need positive thinking. There's enough people out there telling the world that they're great. It's not the gospel. It's not going to get anybody an inch closer to the gospel. In fact, the greater that a person thinks they are, the further away from the gospel. The harder it is to get that rich man through the eye of the needle. You know. Um, sorry, that was a, that was an aside. <laughs> Where am I at here? Um, her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy she is not afraid of snow for her household for all her household are clothed in scarlet i hope you're clothed in, in scarlet i hope that it is about christ and him crucified she makes bed coverings for herself her clothing is fine linen and purple her husband is known in the gates. Whoa. Let's talk about that. Is Christ known in the gates? I'm feeling a little, uh, under conviction for, is Christ really known in the gates where I work? I'm not sure. Now keep in mind, this is, you know, this is to the church and I understand that there's separations of things that have to happen. And, and I try to abide by that, but, um, that's a tough one. Yeah, we're not going to solve that in this podcast. But just think, like, when, when people think about who don't believe in Christ, hear the name Jesus, or hear the name Christian, or hear about the church on the corner, does it reflect well on the King of Kings? Does it, do, do people say, man, I," even people that don't believe, do they see what the true Jesus is? Or are they seeing a false representation of Christ, something that... Um, is not really what Jesus is all about. See, you can preach sermons about Jesus from, from Proverbs 31. You totally can. Um, let's see. Um, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the days to come at the time to come, um, as the church, we should, we should not fear. And I'm not sure if that's really the, um, intent of she laughs at the time to come, but I I think it's talking about the, the readiness that we have as the church, um, not to make light of things, but to know that I know that God's going to provide for us. I know that God has a plan, even in this crisis. Um, The church doesn't need to be nervous um, as such. Uh, We need to really keep our eyes focused on our our husband, Christ, Um, and and really um, know that everything is going to be okay. And part of that is because we're spreading the gospel, we're bearing fruit, and that's the good part. Okay, uh, let's see. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Um, brothers and sisters, uh, I I know I talk about Catholicism a lot, but I think Catholicism misses the boat because they think that Mary is the new Eve. Mary's not the new Eve. She's not the husband of Christ. That's weird. It's his mom. Um, <laughs> the new Eve is the church. The church fulfills Proverbs 31, not Mary, okay? And the church is the bride of christ not mary um i'm not saying that they say that mary is the bride of christ i'm just saying i think that they um have this idea of the queen of heaven uh, which is really strange because if there's any queen in heaven um it's not queen mother mary it's a uh, queen bride of christ uh the church as it were not that the church is actually ever called the queen but i digress Okay, sorry about all the, uh, all the side notes here. Um, is this the right passage? I wrote this down. But I don't know. I don't think it's the right passage. Um... So I was going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, but yeah, I don't think that's right. Um, now there's something in 2 Corinthians, no? Um, well there's something in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 um, which we mentioned homosexuality. Um, so if you want to read more about like what Paul's teaching is on sexual immorality and see how clear that is, um, I'll just direct you to 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and like uh, those whole chapters, 1 Corinthians five and 6. and I think I'm not really sure why I wrote down that the passage. But that's okay. Believe it or not, we only have one more to read. Yep, um, oh, we broke the hour mark. I was trying not to do that. Lord, multiply my sleep, for real. Revelation 19. Now, here's what I wrote down to read. And I think it's probably good to read all of this. Um, Because it's going to talk about the Bride of Christ. It's going to, I believe, show Christ as King. And it's going to tell us um, what the New Jerusalem, I believe, is going to look like. So, I've had these notes for a while, so sorry guys. Um, Fumbling around a little bit. Revelation, here's what I'm going to read. Revelation 19, 6-9. Um, all of chapter 21 and then five verses into chapter 22 and once again i'll put all these scriptures um in the notes so should be done in about five minutes here here we go um revelation 19 6 through 9 now this is like the end right this is the end of the bible this is kind of showing the consummation if you want to use that word of all things here it goes For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints now um that is so clearly similar language to what we saw in proverbs 31 like i can't unsee it this idea of clothing yourself in righteous deeds of the saints um bright and pure in this fine linen it's just the same imagery like you just you have to see it it's really cool Uh, Verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. All right, I'm going to go to chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning And all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third, a gate. I don't know if that's how you say that. Uh, The fourth, emerald. The fifth, anx. The sixth, carnelian the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. If I said any of those wrong, I'm sorry. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, Hey, we're learning more about the tree of life here. (laughs) Yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. We'll see a curse in Genesis 3. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Um, so that's a little bit in the chat, uh, verse six there um Revelation. So, wow, I went like 40 minutes than I wanted to, but thanks for listening. <laughs> Uh, Just to summarize, uh, Genesis 2, there's purpose, there's goodness. Um, God has a rest for you to enter through Christ. Um, God has a new and better creation um, that will not fall. Um, He has a plan in all of this. And um, I just encourage you to um, repent, turn away from your sin, Believe in Christ, who is um, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the beginning and the end. So when we read in the beginning, we're already talking about Christ um, because He is there, and that's a title that He takes the beginning and the end. Um, he will be seated on a throne. All those things that I just read are true. And uh, once again, put yourself, well, Experience experience the Bible as you are, right? You're kind of in exile right now if you're um, staying at home uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, these Israelites, they didn't know what was going on either. They didn't know what was next. And they're having to trust the God who made um, the heavens and the sea and the dry land and who made marriage. Thank God for your, your spouse if you if you have one. Um, thank god for your children the ability to be fruitful and multiply thank god for your food for the animals for the beauty of creation the heavens declare the glory of god so i encourage you to dig back into psalm 19 um thank you for listening um sorry it went so long um pray for me that i get enough sleep tonight (laughs) and i hope you get enough sleep as well uh whenever you're listening to this so um thanks for listening good night bye Thank you.